Race matters. 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 Te nei o te nei o te ho kai nei i taku tapu wai ko te ho kai nuku ko te ho kai rangi ko te ho kai a to tupuna a ta nenui a rangi. Te nei te mihi kia koutou i te kaitiaki o te nei mutu i te nei whenua takitaki ko te iora mutu mana mutu hake. Te nei te mihi kita kite hapu o te nei mutu i ora tangata whenua i ora mana Eora te kainga kainga roa nane te mihi tene te mihi tutro fa kamoa kia tina tina homie huye taikie. I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. Mm-hmm. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, and song, and we are privileged to be a part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders, past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of Black theatre in this country, and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. <laughs> You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. <laughs> My name's Sezo. I'm a Kotare or Kingfisher turned Prague Napui DJ, writer, curator, and medical student. If you haven't heard enough from me, oh, the Kumara doesn't speak of its sweetness, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I do. Yummy, I am yummy. that Kumara. You're so sweet. Yeah. And I'm going to throw it over to Hami. I am Grayson Goff. Ko taranaki te maunga, ko matene unu te awa, ko kore haupo te waka, and it is a privilege to be here, Farnax. Farno. of being well queer Māori or if you identify with the term takatāpui and the unique challenges that come with that experience. So we want to highlight 
the importance of recognising the diversity of LGBTQ plus communities and the need to create inclusive spaces for all individuals. <laughs> I know that's a lot, but um, yeah, just find an entry point for yourself and just like chat. I'm sure you have plenty to say. Well, kia ora, mate, Koto. I think one of the most unique challenges about being takatapui is definitely this this erasure that we experience as Indigenous people first and foremost. Mm. For me, I think within my identity, within my tuakiri tanga, we say tu to stand, akiri, your skin, and tanga is the practice of, or the being of. And that's a very um, a founded Māori concept, one in the way of language revitalization, but also when it comes to the sense of identity. Mm. And it's, it's so innate in a queer Māori, authentic, indigenous being mm. or ways of being that relates to whenua or, or our land, perhaps our placenta or our connection to our earth mm. mother and sky father. Mm. And the hardest thing about contextualizing, I think, one's own self or one's identity is when spaces, honey, are not decolonized. Mm -hmm. And no matter what identity I possess that I might be sucking off at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> first of all, advice, I'm averse. Um, well, pride. <laughs> hello. Um, you know, we can be nuanced in our identity, but less so with a white, undecolonized audience or perhaps spaces. And for mm. me, that's what safe space looks like for all of my identities is decolonial safe space. Hami, what you got on this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I agree. I think the challenges that face Takatapui, or my own experience, because I can only speak from that, is the um, the kind of barriers that exist um, for us as people to access our kōrero tuku iho, so that um, the ancestral kind of wisdoms and those um, story the stories and the storytelling and the oral traditions that validate us in our experience that yes, our tupuna were um, gender full and sexually abundant beings. And so we have always been here since the beginning of time and we will continue to progenate and have beautiful takatapui mokopuna. Um, and I think for, in my own personal experience, um, it wasn't until I kind of accessed academic spaces that I was able to kind of find those um, validating kōrero tuku iho. And so a lot of what I see is is just the need for us to really communicate um, the past and create living relationships to it. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Hey, Fano, I just wanted to add in here, you know, like a little key. Um, Taonga tuku iho are the treasures inherited by our ancestral wisdoms. Would you say that? I would. Well, there you go. <laughs> now you understand. <laughs> and let me add to that, because unlike Hami, I think the same. Like, yes, there's a lot of gratitude for academic spaces and the resilient queer people that um, that hold those spaces. But what it does in the white world and this colonial construct of how we um, reason or rationalise ourselves on this, these constructs of of our Pākehā or the white world we say in Aotearoa New Zealand um, is give it um, a sense of legitimacy in that world and I know that I'm inherently natural, I'm a natural being from our Earth Mother and Sky Father so my entities matter and, and, and will always be placed in that duality and purality of self so I'm not looking for affirmation there but <laughs> it just it's a vehicle of, of, um, of decolonizing using the colonizer's language and so um, when I think of Takata Tapuitanga, I just 
honor in the way that it moved um into academic spaces and we became seen visible and represented and i guess before i throw to him i just really acknowledge the vehicle of such within our sister um sister girls and brother boys terminology in in a way that it embraces whether or not it's um enough or not is up to our first nations people here but from my experience understanding how people identify with that term also as encompassing of their indigeneity but also the way we've decolonized nuclear relationships mm. and that's powerful and that's hot Quite a, and i love it yeah and i think to grayson's point too um you know these terms takatapui have been around in kurirotsukuhiho in tangotsukuhiho for generations and generations and millennia. generations. Millennia. And we wouldn't have access to these kupu without the work of Ngahuya Tawe Kotuku and Lee Smith revitalising it in the uh, 80s and 90s within academic spaces to create access for our hapuri and our whānau, whānau, our communities. That's she interesting. Said, I didn't have any idea that a lot of it started from academic spaces in well, Aotearoa. I think just the kind of... Um, nourishing of that kupu of kind of an identifier because mm. I think they saw with the gay liberations movement mm. that this idea of identifying or, or having terminology to um, create mm. community was really powerful. However, within a kind of kaupapa Māori framework, um, because manamutuhaki or self-determination is at the foundation of being and that self-determination is actually hapūtanga mm. or community well-being mm. and whānau well-being, mm. Um, that manamotuhake means that your queerness or your tuakere, the parts of your identity, are actually up to you and the collective of your whānau to embrace and define. And so perhaps before that moment, uh, Māori felt like there wasn't a need to create label or, or terminology mm-hmm. because, of course, my tuakere, my identity, is just part of my hamiora bailey tanga, you know, and... And I think that is where we saw a big transition within um, our kind of hitori or our history, mm-hmm. is that the influence from the West in a, in a kind of moment of protest meant that there had to be a binding or a manatauri uh, a kind of equity, equity, a meeting of these cultural phenomena. Um, so, yes, as Grayson said, of course, we revere and respect all of that work, you know, from Whaenga Huya and Lee Smith and, you know, a generation after by Elizabeth Kirikiri and, you know, um, all of our academics today, Tangaroa Paul and Hannah Burgess, who continue the work in those academic spaces. But I think unless you have a privilege or access into the kind of tertiary education or even know how to navigate those spaces and where to find that corridor, it can be difficult to know that history. And so that's kind of more of what I was saying, was that the problem I see for our takatapui today, uh, our tamariki and our rangatahi, is that I believe there's work to be done both in and outside of those institutions to disseminate that knowledge further. Very true, very true. But also I think um, in supporting this idea of safe space, this idea of um, decolonizing space, there's an oro, or there is a power to word. And, you know, in Māori dim, in te ao Māori, our sacred weapons, like the taiaha, is a tongue at the end of, of it. And it talks to the power of words, but also individuals' power of what they conjure in their mind, heart, body, and spirit, and what they express into the atmosphere and air. And like, it's no secret that for many of us, the idea of hongi is, is to acknowledge the sacredness of the air and space, and the space that we're inhibiting together. So when we talk about 
So what's a hongi for all the so-called Australians out there? Oh my god, let me break it down for you. <laughs> I beg your pardon. No, a hongi is about um, honouring um, the breath of life, the ha or the modi, our interconnection. And so it's all these psychosocial rituals that actually lend to understanding how indigenous people see how words, terminology, pronouns are very sacred. And when you look at terminology and you look at what the academics might have done for us is to bring forward this language, this nuance, mm. this a way of being and put it into the universe where it's actually like, for whatever reason, we can affirm or we can relate to or we can cite or we can just have a giggle. Of Tiki and Tutanikai, who are two um, progenitors or mm. kind of ariki. Shout out. Shout out, shout out. Te arawa mihi. Pre-contact. So... They were best friends. They were sort of like, um, they were close friends who grew up together, who um, went through a lot of the kind of growth and, and kōkiritanga as close friends. And in referring to Tiki, to Tanikai, says to his father, this is like my my friend of the same sex that I would die for. This is my lover. This is my takatāpui. And so we know that in our traditional groupings and even um, pre-contact and really strong kind of uh, affirmed senses of identity within an Indigenous framework that our leaders and our pioneers, our rangatira, have been takatāpui. Um, of course, a lot of people know the, the famous pūrāko in Pakewaitara of Hinimoa um, and Tiki and... and Oh, sorry, Hinimo and Tutanikai. Um, Those are all names. <laughs> of people. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it exists both within those academics kind of foundations and also long, long, long before. Mm. It was just citational practice that, as Grayson says, brought it into common thought. Mm. And pride in bringing those ideas across to the wider public. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Kai Fakahari Takatapu for Auckland Pride. Um, Auckland is our kind of major city in New Zealand, or Tāmukumagoro, mm-hmm. uh, as we refer to it as. Um, and Kai Fakahari just means like, Takatapu creative director, I, I guess, is the translation. And and so I run a, a project called Te Dimatanga, uh, which is like a month-long public art um, space experience. experience. Um, so we have a whare toy or like a fine gallery space that also holds wānanga or workshops every weekend, um, of which Grayson is one of our kai wānanga. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> we do a, a video performance recording, so kind of like an MTV Unplugged vibe, um, that's released <laughs> online. Māori TV Unplugged. Māori, <laughs> oh, no. <nah. laughs> MTV Māori TV. <laughs> um, and then we have a Huarahi Toria public art trail that honours, I guess, our relationship to Te Taiao and to Whenua. Um, and so the, the, the kind of goal for us, and, and as I was saying, you know, and as we all know, uh, our communities are really nuanced. And when we're talking to Tangatapui or Tangata Whenua, because of that idea of hapu tanga or of collective identity uh, and collective consciousness, we had to find ways to bring whānau into the space. So while the individual or the rangatahi might be Tangatapui, we need to also make sure that that's a space for whānau. And so the huarahi toi really became that opportunity because it meant that our whānau who were just out having an ice cream in the mm. city with their whānau could see an artist or a pakewaitara and kind of show them that mm-hmm. actually we are Tangata Whenua first and this is just part of my tuakiri. Tangata Whenua, the people of the land, honey. <laughs> Tangata people, Whenua land, or placenta. Again, that sacred connection, isn't it? Isn't it? Umbilical cord stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and the video performance series means that for whānau who don't live in Tāmaki Makoto or don't feel safe coming to in-person events can do that in the comfort of their own spaces in their own home. So they can see performance and ritual that can ground them. And then the Whariwānanga, of course, um, is a place that they can come together to activate and participate in collective knowledge. So that's kind of what I do for um, a big chunk of my year is making sure that those foundations and relationships are there to bring to the surface and celebrate. And can I mihi to Sam's mana and Modi, just the life's essence and uh, and um, acknowledgement of who they are as a person and what they are able to do in the realm of holding this creative, collective, brown, excellent space. Just glorious. And I have been a part. So this was the second one. Um, second year it's been running. Titi Matanga, yeah. Yeah, Titi Matanga. Mm. Um, and just glorious. Glorious to be a part of as an artist, as a participant, um, but as Tangata Whenua, people of the land, to see expressions of our self-determination in queer space is just nasty stuff. It's massive. I think like many of us um, First Nations Indigenous people, some of what we do... Um, presents itself to us. We say kaupapa, or principled ways of being, mostly in activism, mostly, you know, we're drawn to to a world that we need to reimagine and we need to rebuild. And um, I find myself just plonked in the middle of it and it's drama and it is full on and I love it. But mostly, um, so I'm the founder of a couple of cool things. Uh, I founded Whakamanatia, which was a not-for-profit social enterprise. Um, and the most beautiful thing I find uh, in the mahi or the work that we get to do is walk alongside resilient communities. Um, we talk about nurturing identity that nourishes community. Um, and some of it is the most simple way of exploring and reimagining intergenerational healing methodologies. Uh, so that's one way we do it. Another piece of work that I have privileged to be part of is a charitable trust um, called Mowai that works to um, build resilient um, sort of equitable learning environments um, and at the moment it's taken a focus on in the digital tech mm. sector channeling indigenous wisdoms from around Te Moana a Pacific Ocean it's so cool and it's diverse and you know what it's co-designed mm. K-A-U and it's taking from the word co-papa mm. and um Kaupapa being that principled activism, that work of decolonizing, right, right, right. Um, but it's inherent to who we are as First Nations people. What is world pride when it's on unceded land? Um, yes. So, yeah, that's the main question that I feel like you've come here with and you've been exploring with. Uh, who have you been interviewing? Do you know what? We've had uh, just so many gorgeous First Nations people. Just the most inspirational. Just the most trailblazing, resilient Fano or mob. Um, and some of them like Maddie Mills. Mm. Oh my gosh, Auntie Crystal Love Bitch. And <laughs> um, we had Taz, a beautiful activist, mm. Taz Clay, who was speaking also at the Human Rights Convention, our conference. What are some of the perspectives that came through? This is what's really amazing because I actually had no idea about some of the gorgeous similarities in our intrinsic 
you know um, indigenous identities like our earth mother and our dream story dream time dream yes, story yes, yeah dream time. Um, when dreaming. we are dreaming our yeah. dreaming yeah. um and of course i think many of maori like myself acknowledge our tupuna o our um and ancestors, ancestors mm. uh, but also the um our first nation um mobs to be you know ancestors of their own right mm. you know Quita. a lot of a lot of our people um, acknowledge people of the pacific as being cousins but we just have this adoration of like golden wisdom and golden fenua and um like i i found out that there's just so much diversity and wealth and wisdoms ancestral knowledge so ever present in the resilient identities of our first nation and you know tupuna here I love the cosmos. I love the idea how that plays into this non-nuclear way of relating yourself to whānau, family, or what some people call totems. But we love the word whānui or whānau. In Aotearoa, we have similar concepts of kaitiakitanga, this reciprocal relationship of um, ecological identity and sustainability. Mm-hmm. And we know that's the future. It's no secret. But the present is where I was most... Um, I cried. I cried and oh. I cried. Yeah, like the median age, suicidality we have in common. Mm. Um, and the thing I don't like is how people talk about how Māori are somehow privileged Indigenous people because <laughs> when they come over to um, Aotearoa and they see, you know, Fakairo carvings at the airport mm. and they're like, oh, you're so visible. And it's like, I do acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But also look at our statistics. So true. Yeah. So true. And it's the same as over here. Oh, we only die seven years earlier than white people. <laughs> <laughs> There's ten over here. It's ten years over here for First Nations people. Um, so we're apparently privileged Indigenous people. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, so. But the experience of, of, of this World Pride, you know, has really... Um, rang home the idea that there's an eye illness but a we in wellness and we can be collectively resilient as much as we can be individually acknowledging our lived experience and that's what was beautiful Mm. what i heard um so clearly was that what we are experiencing within our lived experience is is isn't dissimilar but is different mm. and visibility and representation we are fortunate yes. enough to have in Aotearoa yes. and we have fought Must hard for it absolutely mm. but in the same respect um, there are so much diversity with mob and First Nation whānau here I understand over 250 plus different you know, nations. nations and this is continental mm. wisdom this is cosmos beings you know um, where our creation story comes from our Earth Mother and Sky Father alike, but then also Tāne Mahuta, our God of the forest, and this idea of separation bringing forth Ida Tangata. I was so humbled to hear about the cave systems, my G, mm. and this idea of time travelling that that is um, that that plays into this um, just incredible resilient. Um, identity of our First Nations ancestors here. Um, I heard a lot about mental health that I think we could acknowledge as being a a similar experience. Although, I must say, um, my experience is that the racism and prejudice is far more um, visible and representative of the white majority here than it is in Aotearoa. And Perhaps we are um, 
We're breaking down though. I don't know. It's probably there's also a slow violence, and I want to talk about. I want to pick up this thread after. Mm. There's this. I think what we experience together is um, these sort of violent hang-ups of of classism, and you know, you, you get my vibe. You get um, what I'm picking up. Oh, I just wanted to you to expand on the differences you've noticed with Pakia or white people over here as well. So. What were you saying then? What did you mean by that? So are they more openly racist here? <laughs> I feel that way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's been my experience. In comparing our colonizer... Yeah. I want to say as well, just acknowledging your point, Cezo, um, mm. around um, differences and contrasting, right? Within a mm. kind of um, Tao Māori framework, we have what Grayson refers to as um, manohono ngā tangata, um, and what a lot of our whānau back home experience as whakawhanaungatanga, uh, or the making and honouring of relationships, and so I think it's actually a foundation of Indigenous knowledge systems to know that we come into room with, or into gathering space, into hui, with different contexts, and so I just, I really mm. um, want to reiterate to our listeners, and also to our mm. whānau whānui, that as Indigenous people, we're really proud to know our context, to understand our whakapapa, mm. to realise that through our tuakiritanga, our identity, Aye. and apply it into space. And so, you know, especially for our whānau Māori here, I think there is a real need to recognise those differences um, as not uh, disparities, Aye. but as different living relationship to our whakapapa or to our contexts. It's a shock when you come here and see the directness. Yes. But in some ways I appreciate the directness because when I got to Aotearoa, I think it's like fake nice. Subtle violence. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and um, I feel like the aggression here is just aggression, but in Aotearoa it's passive aggression. And for me, that's actually worse because <laughs> it's like everyone's just saying, let's all get along. And a lot of the anger gets suppressed and gets pushed under. And everyone, uh, not everyone, but... I feel like there's a vibe there that everyone's equal and we're all on the same page when we're really not and it's actually a little a more insidious version of racism because we actually act like everything's okay when it's not and that sort of contributes to the idea that Māori are uh, privileged, somehow privileged Indigenous people, which is racist. Such an important point. Yeah. Such an important point. But I think it's like what you grew up with as well. <laughs> so we're all used to the coloniser that we grew up with. So I spent my childhood in Aotearoa <laughs> and then moved here and had to adjust to this coloniser. So I got used to the directness. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's always a shock to the system when you see a different kind of <laughs> mm. coloniser co-papa. <laughs> That's so true. I appreciate... Uh, the acknowledgements that are being made um, in, in some spaces, like the Human Rights Conference, you know, the creativity that they, they, they possess. Is that these, here at World Pride? Here at World Pride, Pride yes, yes, being part of World Pride. Um, the acknowledgements that have and are being made, I guess, are, you know, it lends itself to um, more of a, not more of a, a dangerous contrasting language, hey? Pick it up, pick it mm. up. Um, perhaps that visibility and acknowledgement, but also it affects the Mardi Gras, you know, where the First Nations are leading and cleansing the space. And uh, um, uh, space is being held um, similar to how it is in Aotearoa um, in these spaces. I think in Aotearoa also, our whanau, big push for self-determination or through the colonizers' legal forms and ways of being. And we have made significant ground only because of the privilege, on oh, privilege, quotations they say, um, of Titiriti o Waitangi 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and the preamble. So that's the Treaty of Waitangi. The yeah. Treaty of Waitangi. But bear in mind, <laughs> the treaty <laughs> says something very different to Te Tiriti. Yes. But, um, and of course, on the, based on the premise of our Declaration of Independence, Hefaka Putanga, which preambled the treaty. So the treaty being a way of controlling the colonizer. Mm. Um, and so there are controls mm. still in place mm. that manages. Um, the way that our rights can be expressed and our self-determination can be enacted in our whenua, uh, in our lands of the long white cloud. But what are some other ways in which we can decolonize, perhaps like with joy and abundance? My first thought went to some of the people that I've met along this journey here. And the journey involves us following, comparing and contrasting, like Hami beautifully introduced, um, this idea of gay liberation. And one thing, and one person that pops to mind is Davy Thompson, who is um, First Nations, of course, and they have spoke to me about their experience in being part of the show All My Friends Are Racists. And like me, um, I was a part of a comedy called Sis, Comedy Central, right, 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 I got leaked, it was a form of self-determination. But I think there's this idea of reclamation of self built into an abundant mindset of laughing. And laughing is both a healing methodology, but also, I think, quite a healing methodology. Did I already say that? Healing methodology and healing methodology? Oh, no, I was just giggling because um, I've never not seen you laughing on K-Road. <laughs> <laughs> K-Road is Karanga Hape Road. It's a, I don't know, it's sort of like, um, what's the road here? Anyway, it's it's somewhere where we ha- where we hang out. So just when you speak about joy, um, I mean, I ha- I just think of Grayson when I think about Māori joy. You oh, know? So you're very qualified to speak on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I found. I had such a fun interview with yeah. Davey Thompson among mm. many other people. And Davey, um, my experience of Davey was just such a proud member of their whānau, whānui, iwi, rohe, their um, construct of mob and being. And and this channeling of resilience through a different vehicle of, of decolonial safe space and bringing forth this experience within their character on the show. And they spoke about... Um, the process of aligning uh, to the character, but also channeling through quite a traumatic experience of, of, of being, of their experience here in Australia, um, but to their identity at, within the sort of healing methodology of laughing and reclamation and what comedy does to break down a, a, this or, or to bring together a collective um, a, a, platform of healing and a space to to heal and and reconcile but it's quite nuanced and that's what sis is in my experience and other comedies that i've had the privilege of being a part of i Um, remember seeing you on sis before i knew you actually oh really yeah you're unforgettable (laughs) oh so funny (laughs) funny but the irony is we were looking at ways so my character ladies and gentlemen everybody (laughs) whānau family (laughs) Um, my character was this of a kaitiaki, or like um, a guardian, might you say, Hami? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> a guardian on set 
first and foremost. So we held safe space on set and looked to find ways of, if we are um, sharing such traumatic experiences, how is it that we share as learners, but also in safe, equitable space? Given that, you know, these things are, are become like cemented or like, you know, who knows what in 2045, <laughs> in 2,405 million AD, um, million AD, you know, what if the audience transgresses? How are we safely sharing these experiences? And it was really beautiful to hear from from Davy was just the sense of grounding of, of self and being in that vehicle of, of decolonization on screen, as well as representation and visibility for so many. Something that, you know, I've been really privileged to be um, following Grayson during their interviews with Mob here in Ahitereria, and um, that's our kind of transliteration mm-hmm. of this continent. Um, and something that I really, really enjoyed was spending time with Fire Crystal because, you know, we like joyous laughter or joyous conversation we call like kata kata and you know it's been adopted as terminology within our kind of ballroom and drag scenes for takatapui or first nations um rainbow people within auckland is like we're just having a kata and the whole um presence of fire crystal and grayson together these two abundant joyous being it was just like harikua was beaming through the icc in this little pocket and i'm really excited for you know our Fano back home um and also Fano here to experience you know these conversations because seeing um mob and tangata whenua communicate and and realize those um, those points of connection was so joyous. It was so joyous. And, you know, these frameworks of being interviewed and having caught it all, the structures and the, you know, filming are all processes and productions born out of, um, you know, colonial frameworks. But then as soon as you lean into joy, as soon as you're cracking up and you're having a cup of tea mm. and you're having a kata kata, you're you back relax. at home yeah. with your whanau. Mm. Um, and so I just want to mihi to Grayson mm. and, you know, and obviously to our mob and our rangatira and our tupuna, uh, sorry, tuakana, that he has been able to interview and bring that out of them. I don't work in heaps <gasps> of joy because I'm still working through my own internalized um, stuff. Yeah, I get into rational mode. Yeah, I me love too. how you just flow. Full and long. I couldn't think of anyone better to interview someone like Fire Crystal. So Fire is auntie and um, Fire Crystal is First Nations. And could you actually do a little, what does she do here? Well, Fire Crystal is um, pretty much the thing icons yeah. and legends and, yeah. <laughs> are made of. But before I do um, give her, her mihi to her, one thing that I found just uh, this intersectionality of indigeneity, of, of resilience, but abundance, was how she acknowledged such an influential Māori queen that was forced to come to Australia. And her name was Kama Rupe from Ngāti Mania Puto, who is very influential for um, Ira Wahine, um, or our transgender community. And she was Māori, and she um, was also a working girl, uh, proudly. And um, Fire Carmen had a little black book, honey. And so she was in a predicament, we understand, and was given an ultimatum, perhaps, to change her ways or move to Sydney. You're a, a nation, Gadigal land, of course. And so did she, and she did. <laughs> and Fire Crystal mentioned how much, you know, she said, there needs to be a statue of her. That's how significant this indigenous person was able to... Sh- 
um, holds space around King's Cross, but also was so visible and represented a um, indigenous way of being. And it enlightened and, and excited, we're told, uh, Fire Crystal. Oh. To really? want to... Um, beautiful connection. I know, and Fire Crystal used this beautiful framework of walkabouts, although she did, I pardon, she did use her um, her native tongue to to express that and, and, and avoided walkabouts. So, uh, But loosely translated, Fano, apologies. Mm. Um, and she contrasted as a queer indigenous person... Um, aspects of walkabouts but also identified fire Carmen as being quite significant in in reclaiming and part of an indigenous identity but also present here in such an urbanized sort of flucked up do you like that yeah. flucked up it sounds like <laughs> what we do to a pillow like. <laughs> incredible piece of history there that you I, I know, and I that know, could I be know. lost without people like fire crystal totally but perhaps it also lends itself to the way we can see or contrast um regenerative identities mm. from an indigenous lens and that is powerful man and i must mehi to the essence of femininity that without that earth mother without that nurturing soulful being perhaps i mean masculinity aside perhaps we don't have the uh, uh, capabilities to reimagine safe nurturing spaces without yeah. these women and without mm. this feminine energy that we as indigenous people embrace in duality and plurality and with the lamb honey period i think yeah, I'm, I'm getting really emotional. Yeah, emotional. you just... Be emotional. I think the, the, you know, how we kind of started, right, this idea of, like, what have we learned from the exchange? But actually, uh, the reason I'm so emotional is because, you know, Gigi and I are here kind of as Mokopuna under um, Fire Carmen, and we get to connect with her Paki Waitara, and we get to connect with, you know, this legacy and this history that she's had, but through living relationships to other. And, you know, I just really want to meet Ramon and Nicola mm. because, you know, throughout their um, legacy, they have created the framework for the storytelling to be captured in film um, and to spend time with them in the context of them knowing that we're Mokopuna and Taina under mm. this legacy. And for for myself, I can't speak on behalf of Grayson, but it's felt like we, we're on this adventure of discovering more about our auntie through the lens of the people she inspired. And I think that's why the Kōrero with Fire Crystal was so abundant and so joyous because it was a reflection of this shared, you know, mana hononga tangata, mm. um, erstwhile through the legacy of, of Fire Carmen. And you do see this, this ecology of, of beautiful indigenous identity consistently. And I have to say, our mob here has been so generous to us. It hasn't felt like, because I, I can appear quite um, knowledgeable but um, there's a vulnerability about being a learner and how embraceive they were like I and a guess they're in the realm of world pride that they there were so many lessons to learn and of course so much to perfect still um, but so much to embrace and celebrate of what went well when indigenous people are leading the conversation a lot of Māori that are forced to come here because of the, you know, ongoing effects of colonisation and we need to move here to get jobs basically a lot and to like find that better lifestyle and also to try and escape 
racism from Aotearoa. A lot of Māori move here for that as well. Mm. But it comes with the cost of uh, now there's like second and third generation Māori being born and they don't understand who they are, mm. you know. And I was sort of one of those, like I moved here uh, when I was about 10 and almost forgot that I was Māori mm-hmm. <laughs> for like a lot of my teens. And then I only met up with Coco Solid because I was DJing. All the all the First Nations girls got me into DJing because they saw my wairua before I could because I forgot and I was so assimilated. Me, me. Yeah. And um, so shout out to Alice Ether, RAP. Mm. Okay, I'm emotional now. And uh, yeah, and then uh, just being around Coco, or even if I heard about someone like Carmen, maybe I could have you know rediscovered who I was, but I was lucky that I met up with Coco Solid. And um, I was like, we're really similar. And she's like, yeah, you're Māori as fuck. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Not the nose, honey, it's just not the but nose. But just, you know, I just wanted to recognise that because while we're here and we're Māori in Australia and there's a lot of Māori that are here in Australia that are struggling with their Māori identity mm. and also being a guest on Indigenous land, it's a very awkward subject for us as well. Mm. And I think that's... To my, you know, to my opening point, it's that remembering and that dissemination. Sorry, ugh, Australia. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, ugh, Australia. <laughs> it's that um, remembering, that deep remembering mm. of history through living relationships, yeah. right? Mm. Having those people to look to their Pakewaitara to engage in and be an example of. Mm. Totally. And perhaps that's why I'm so um, grateful for people like Ben who have seen Pride as an opportunity mm. to um, tanga, to acknowledge the legacies of our ancestral wisdoms in queer space and bring those to the forefront of the conversation and bring these leaders like, ah, oh, endless people, honey, um, that to hold the space competently. One thing I will acknowledge is that this intersectionality can be celebrated even within diaspora. And I think Māori and tangata whenua, I hope, I hope, embrace uh, others as warmly as I was embraced mm-hmm. in my journey, in our journey, in our huarahi here in Australia, but in our journey of um, reclaiming this collective resilience and culture. One example of ritualistic healing methodologies was definitely the yarning circles that I was able to experience. And what grounded the, the yarning circle at, at, at Carriage Works was um, this ahi or fire and the sacredness of sitting around a fire in circle. And if that's not practice of mana tauri te tanga or, or equity in process and practice, and democracy you know indigenous democracy bitch what is Mm. and they had that fire going all the time Mm. and it was someone's role to tend to it now from a structural perspective having someone not only cut the wood prepare the wood put the wood on the fire keep the fires burning was not only uh, reflective of our presence within that space and us taking over that space, but also these healing methodologies appropriate for space and to decolonize space. And then we're New Zealand, we might just burn it down. But- <laughs> <laughs> but it's so beautiful too, because we have ahika, you know, that is something that we practice with our concept. So to see that reflection or even just to hear about it, you know, this idea of indigeneity and that, that, uh, deep relationship to Papa Tuanaku, our Earth Mother and our Sky Father Ranginui. It's embedded within our toto, our blood memory. And to your point, Cezo, about, you know, your diaspora experience, I have experienced diaspora and I'm, you know, in Aotearoa I have that's where my foundation, my roots are laid. And so 
Um, it's so funny you mentioned Coco and this idea of like, you're so fucking Māori because as soon as you're <laughs> in a room... I didn't know. I thought I was an individual, but turns out I come as part of a you're set. A collective. Sorry, Henny. Um, but as soon as Sorry, we... We the same. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to do the dishes, girl. Pick up the tea towel. Oh, yeah, I love tea dishes. towel tongue up very quickly. <laughs> Get the tea towel tongue up ready. Why did you leave the water in the sink? Oh. Why is the water cold? What? Why aren't your hands burnt? I'm but, in trouble. <laughs> but to hear that and to know that, that's exactly what it is, right? It's that deep remembering and it's that um, that innate sense of being that we carry and, you know, mm. the pride in which we have. And, yeah, I think about Carmen being here. Um, I just want to honour all of the Māori that have found themselves here. You know, one in five Māori are here in Australia. Um, yeah, that's just what I wanted to do. Yeah, because a lot, a lot of the time I think that Māori in Australia feel really left out. And a lot of the time it's not our choice to be here. Um, and yeah, we just struggle with our identity. Um, my advice is to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also just to let you know that, yeah, you're still Māori and you'll always be Māori. And there's, yeah, there's no percentages or blood quantums out here. Oh, one quote that's really significant. I heard it um, <laughs> in this idea, uh, and this was at Club Nation or Club Kong, <laughs> um, was by a beautiful queen, um, Queen Kong. And she said, um, it doesn't matter if you put milk in the tea, it's still a brown tea. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'm going to drink now. That's a tea hat. <laughs> now that is a, a tea it's itself. It's still a cup of tea at the end it's of the day. It's still going to be a cup of tea. <laughs> And that's hot. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, it's important to also, I hope, all Māori in Australia recognising um, the First Nations people of this land as well. So remember your positionality. Remember that you're a guest. Um, mm. But also reconnect with who you are. It's really meaningful journey. It's been one of the best experiences, yeah. And those wow. two things will empower one another, yes. honestly. Yeah. And, to support- and you're not actually that unusual. I got to Aotearoa and I realised, oh, a lot of people haven't been back to their marae and this is colonisation. Mm. <laughs> so I'm actually like the same as a lot of people. I was very nervous. I thought I'd be a fish out of water. But actually, colonisation affected everyone. And yeah, you're not just diaspora. Like, we're all kind of diaspora, really, in a way. Oh, that's not, Is that toxic to say? No. <laughs> like we're displaced. Totally. We're displaced. You're safe in the exploration. <laughs> I think it's so important also to remember that to support an Indigenous First Nations voice is to support your own, own. ancestral voice. Amen. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters.